rest of you can be seated. Um, if you're new to Redemption Hill, welcome. Glad that you're here. I hope when you came in, you grabbed what we call a worship guide. And uh, when you grab that, you'll notice on the bottom, there's something we call a connect card. I hope you'll fill that out if you're new here today. And at the end of the service, as you exit, there's a collection box that you can drop that off in. It's, it's our hope that we can just acknowledge your visit and perhaps share a, a resource or two with you along the way. Well, good morning. My name is John Reddy. For those of you that I haven't had the pleasure to meet, I serve as one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill Church. And right from the get-go, I would like to state the obvious. This is a great shirt. Now, the many qualities of it, I think, are obvious. But what you should know is I bought it in the clearance rack that was for the clearance rack that hadn't sold. I paid $4 for it. It's genuine polyester, so it doesn't wrinkle when you iron it. And it is my wife's least favorite shirt that I own. Well, it's not torn or stained. In fact, for seven years since I've been coming to Redemption Hill Church, I wanted to wear this shirt on a Sunday morning, and she forbid it. But it's the perfect summer shirt for someone living in New England. And so it's the perfect occasion because this morning we're starting our new summer preaching series called 39, Treasuring the Old Testament Together. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible reveals the heart of God and his plan for our redemption. And yet for a lot of us, including Christians, we view the first 39 books of the Bible, what we refer to as the Old Testament, as antiquated or irrelevant or sometimes too difficult to understand. And so in our summer preaching series, what we're calling 39, we want to help people see the riches of all of the Scripture, including, including those portions of our Bible that sometimes we avoid and oftentimes we misunderstand. Now, many of you know and are aware that our lead pastor, Tanner Turley, uh, has begun his long-awaited and, I think, well-deserved sabbatical. But before he left, he did us a great service, and he arranged for a number of terrific pastors to come this summer and share a heartfelt message from the Old Testament. And I hope that you will be as excited as I am to hear such a range of gifted voices this summer as every single one of us, including Pastor John and Stephen and myself, share the preaching platform with some really gifted and some really dear preacher friends. Each one of our guests has had a profound influence, even perhaps from behind the scenes, in our establishment as a church and in our efforts to reach Greater Medford. And I hope that you'll find that you'll trust that as we preach through these different forms of literature and some of the themes from the Old Testament in a Christ-centered manner, that we're going to begin to demonstrate the profitability of all of Scripture to save us, all of Scripture to change us, and to equip us for every moment of every day. We've challenged every speaker that's going to come this summer to not only explain their Old Testament text, but to expose its relevance for our lives today. And so I'm looking forward to a really rich summer of learning and deeper personal commitment. And I pray that you'll join me in that excitement as we learn to walk every day 
treasuring the commandments, just as the psalmist said, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. And so this morning, even as we read our primary scripture, let me just tell you where it is that I'm hoping that we'll go. Jesus' followers, and I hope there's many of you here gathered this morning, should value God's gift of the Old Testament for wisdom and faith and for practice. See, my desire today is to clearly establish in every person's mind that's here, from the Word of God, a foundation of what I'm going to call confidence to faithfully read, to intentionally study, and then to wisely apply the godly principles that we can learn from those 39 books that make up our Old Testament and that we will have a chance to dive into this summer. And so to help us arrive at that conclusion, I'm going to look at some encouragements that the Apostle Paul shared with his pastor-protege, Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip on your smartphones and pull out your scriptures. And would you please turn to the second book of Timothy, chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading beginning in verse 14, and we're going to go right over into chapter 4, concluding with verse 4. This is what Paul wrote. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Thus says the word of the Lord. Would you simply repeat after me as I pray? Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts and change our lives. Amen and amen. As we look at the worthiness of the Old Testament, my first encouragement to us this morning is that we actually value the Old Testament as the powerful Word of God. Now, that may seem as an odd declaration for me to make, and so let me share why I think it's crucial that we understand this truth. I'm going to do a quick poll, a show of hands, on a scale of one to five using your fingers. How comfortable are you reading and navigating and applying teachings from the Old Testament? One would be, there's an Old Testament? What's that? Five would be, I think I may have written the Old Testament. And for most of us, we're somewhere in the middle. But just show me your hands. One, two, three, four, five. How comfortable are you? Yeah, you know, for those of us that, thank you for your honesty, for those of us that honor the Word of God, my suspicion is we're far more comfortable mining the truths that were found in the New Testament than we are in the Old Testament. I saw a lot of twos and a lot of threes. 
We live in a time when our society and even some Christians, including some prominent Christian leaders today, are questioning the usefulness of the Old Testament as a source of life for our times. In fact, in our postmodern culture, the Old Testament is sometimes identified as a stumbling block to faith, or even in some instances, obsolete. And the reasons that are given are varied, but they run a range as wide as some of these reasons. The types of literature that's written, the, the geopolitical nations that are traced, and even some of the names of the characters in the Old Testament are really unfamiliar to many of us. Sometimes when we're reading the Old Testament, God appears to be angry, appears to be vengeful rather than loving and kind, and it can be hard to see grace, perhaps, in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of strange stories in the Old Testament that sometimes they're just plain weird to understand. The greatest heroes of the Bible, and we could sort of rattle them off in the Old Testament, almost all of them have some really serious flaws in their character. You've probably had a chance to hear some of the laws, and a whole bunch of those laws and some of the ceremonies really seem not relevant for our times today. Even the layout of the Old Testament and the chronology of the books of the Old Testament don't really seem logical to us today. And then I think, after all, most of us that are followers of Christ think, well, shouldn't Christians be all about Jesus and the New Testament? Well, let's look back at what Paul said to Timothy. In verse 14, he writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He then goes on to remind Timothy, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And so my question to you this morning, when Paul mentions the sacred writings, what comes to your mind? When he identifies all Scripture, what's the list of writings that come to the front of your thoughts? If you're like many of us, your thoughts probably go to books in the Bible that are most familiar to you or perhaps the most precious to you. For many Christians today, that list would be heavily populated by the Gospels or maybe a letter that Paul wrote or maybe some other favorite New Testament writing or verse. But for Timothy, that would not have been his list. See, we need to remember the place and the time of Paul's letter to Timothy And while precise dates of all of the New Testament writings can sometimes have some debate with them, I'm going to show you a chart, hopefully it's popped up behind me, that I think fairly represents a general dating and time sequence of the 27 books of the New Testament. And as you can see from this chart, Jesus' life and ministry predates Paul's writing and his ministry. And it isn't until about mm, 50 AD that Paul begins to write his letters And the Gospels begin to be recorded with John's Gospel probably not even being written until about 80 or 90 AD. It's estimated that Paul's second letter to Timothy, the one that we're reading this morning, was probably written somewhere around 66 to 67 AD. So when Paul says in his letter, what you have learned... When Paul says how from childhood you've been acquainted, and he says 
with the sacred writings, he was exhorting Timothy to delve deeper into the Hebrew Scriptures. What we call the Old Testament, what Timothy had been raised since childhood to read and to study and to learn and to cherish and to obey. Why? Why would Paul say that? Because the Old Testament, Paul knew, comes to us from God. The Scripture, here the word would be graphe, it was, Paul said, breathed out by God, and it was available to young Timothy when Paul wrote. It was the Old Testament, and it was later in life, as it was being written, that more and more parts of what we refer to as the New Testament became available. Breathed out by God, a, a, a Greek word, theonumos, it does not occur in any other Greek text in the Bible or outside of the Bible prior to Paul writing it right here. You see, this term that Paul uses, it stresses a divine origin from the hand of God, and thus it carries the authority of God. And using it, Paul doesn't point to human authors that were just kind of inspired people. He says that the writings themselves, the graphe, which in the New Testament always refers to biblical writings that are spoken and breathed out by God. The fact is, is that whenever the word scripture or this word graphe appears in the New Testament, it almost always points backwards to the Old Testament. For the Old Testament was the Bible of the early church. The first New Testament believers tested what they had heard from Jesus and his disciples based upon what was written in the Old Testament. They had no other canon. They had no other written source of help in those early days. And so because the early believers knew the Old Testament to be true, they tested what was now being received as new, what we call the New Testament, against that truth. They were very familiar with the teachings that concerned divine authority and testing false prophets that could be found in Deuteronomy 13 and 18. It would have been natural, it would have been historical, it would have been logical for Jews that were considering the claims of Christ and the gospel to interpret this revelation using the known, revealed word of God that we now know today as the Old Testament. The Apostle Matthew began his gospel with a genealogy that stretched from Genesis right up into the New Testament era. The foundation of Jesus' teaching was, in fact, the Old Testament. Think about this. The Old Testament was, for Jesus, the only scripture that he actually had. Paul based his teachings on the Old Testament. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, what? According to the Scriptures. What Scriptures? Old Testament. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the Scriptures. As Christians, we need to value the Old Testament as the powerful Word of God, because the Old Testament, it was the working dictionary of Christian vocabulary. See, when we come to a word or a phrase or a concept in the New Testament, our first question could be, what does the Old Testament say? Remember, the, the, the New Testament was written 
originally mostly by Jews and much of it was written to Jews and it assumed a knowledge of the Old Testament and then built upon it. Because the Old Testament is God's revealed word, it substantially influences today our understanding of key biblical teachings. By the end of the law in Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament, the the Bible has already described or begin to give us a picture of all five of the major covenants that God had with his people. And those covenants then guides the rest of the plot of redemptive history. Covenants with Adam, covenants with Noah, covenants with Abraham, Moses, and David. We need the Old Testament narrative so that we can fully understand God's work in history. I'm really excited that later on this summer, Pastor Chastine's going to come in for two Sundays, um, provide for us the scope of that redemptive history as it's revealed through the Old Testament. Where else do we learn our worldview than perhaps the first three chapters of Genesis? How can we understand the idea of sacred space apart from hearing about the temple? How unfortunate it would be for us to miss the majesty of Yahweh without reading Isaiah 40? Or the potential for a substitute that can bear the penalties in life that we deserve without reading Isaiah 53? The New Testament writers knew this well, and and they eagerly used the received word of God that was found in the Hebrew Scriptures to quote, to reference, and to echo throughout their writings. Peter asserted that the Old Testament prophets in their writings, this is what he said, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The Old Testament authors understood that they were writing in some way for a future audience. And today we now know that it's Christians who have been identified with the New Testament church. Similarly, Paul was convinced that divinely inspired Old Testament authors wrote for New Testament believers that were now living on this side of the death and resurrection of Christ. Here's what he writes. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope because we are now part of a new covenant and not the old there's some natural questions i think that arise on exactly how christians should relate to some of the old covenant instructions but we can't lose this point that the old testament while not specifically written to christians was certainly written for christians and so my prayer this morning is that we would value the Old Testament as the powerful word of God and we would value it with enthusiasm and we would value it with gratitude. As we continue to look at the worthiness of the Old Testament, what we know to be the revealed word of God, my second encouragement is we should value the Old Testament that leads us to Jesus the Messiah. Go back and look at uh, 2 Timothy in, in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What are the sacred writings? 
largely the Old Testament. This is what Paul is saying. And here's what he says. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. To make you wise for salvation. Scripture can lead to the knowledge of the truth. It has the power to bring its readers to faith. And Paul says that that knowledge found in the Old Testament as well, can bring us the kind of wisdom that can result in salvation. You see, the Old Testament, it just doesn't like sort of point forward to Christ. In part, it reveals him. It isn't merely a series of signposts to Christ. His revealing shadow falls on every page. I like what author David Murray asks. Why linger in the Old Testament shadows when we have the New Testament sunlight? Ever asked yourself that? Here's what he says. Have you never found it easier to read and be refreshed in the shade? Have you never admired the unique and wondrous beauty of the dawn? You see, Murray's acknowledging the idea that sometimes the brightest light can be appreciated differently in a softer, yet visible light. And such can be the relationship between the brightness of the New Testament and the light of the Old Testament. Jesus himself said that all of the Old Testament points to him. As Jesus himself said, speaking to his religious opponents, listen to this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. What scriptures is Jesus talking about? The Old Testament. Later in Luke's gospel on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, now resurrected, opened the Hebrew scriptures with two of his unrecognizing disciples. And this is what it says in Luke. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, just another way of acknowledging the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Early church fathers in the 3rd and 2nd century, like Justin Martyr, they not only read and studied and used the Old Testament in worship, but they insisted that Christ was actually their main subject. The Old Testament they held was valuable because Christ was there. We need to be reminded that Jesus did not come to destroy the Old Testament the law and the prophets and the wisdom, but to actually fulfill them. This, in fact, was actually Jesus' teaching. He highlighted the lasting relevance of the Old Testament teaching for Christians. Here's what he said. Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not an iota, not a dot, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, it is important that we stop here and note that while the age of the Old Covenant has come to an end, the Old Testament itself maintains a lasting relevance for us. When Jesus came into the world as the long-expected Messiah of the Old Testament, a profound and dramatic change in the way that we handle the Old Testament occurred. Let me give you an example. Um, And we're going to celebrate this in the Lord's Supper uh, later on this morning. 
Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament animal sacrifices, which were offered as a temporary way of pointing to the way that God covers sin. The whole sacrificial system came to an end in Jesus. We don't need sacrifices anymore because the Word teaches that Jesus was the decisive sacrifice for us. But when we read Isaiah 53, we get to go beyond the narrative of the Gospels that describe the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. In Isaiah 53 and in some of the Psalms, we get to experience the deep emotional and mental struggles of his earthly suffering and sacrifice. We're told that he's also the high priest, that he's the final, decisive, finish-it-for-all-times high priest, the one that now mediates between man and God. So that sacrificial system and the priestly ministry of sacrifice go away because now we know today that we have a high priest that takes us right into the throne of grace and he takes us there personally. Understanding and appreciating the depth of those examples strengthens our joy at a time we know to be true in Christ. And so I ask you, isn't a greater joy a worthy incentive to renew our commitment to read and to study the 39 books of the Old Testament? If that's not enough, the Old Testament announces the very good news or the, the gospel that we enjoy today. In Paul's opening words of his letter to the Romans, Paul stressed that the Lord promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament prophets, the powerful gospel of God, that's what Paul says concerning the Son that he preached, and which we now as Christians today rest. And so reading the Old Testament is one of God's given ways for us to better grasp and delight in the gospel, the good news. And as we read about this good news that is also revealed in the Old Testament, Paul assured Timothy that that reading, that commitment, that internalization would prove able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so like the revealed word of God through the writings of the New Testament, the Old Testament also saved and still saves souls through faith in the Messiah. Do you want to see and to savor Jesus as much as you can? I mean, do you really want to see and to savor Jesus as much as you can? We do find him in the Old Testament. If you want to know Jesus more, Read the Old Testament too. My prayer for us this morning is that each one of us will deeply appreciate and value the Old Testament that actually leads us to Jesus, the Messiah. Finally, as we look at the worthiness of the Old Testament, my third encouragement is this, that we should value the Old Testament for dealing with questions of life. 
Again, if you look back at that passage in 2 Timothy, verse 16, we see that Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What Scripture? The Old Testament. The 39 books of the Old Testament. Maybe some beginning to circulate New Testament writings too. But what's that scripture good for? Teaching. Reproof. Correction. Training in righteousness. Essentially the stuff of life and right living. So strongly does Paul feel this that he goes on to write, I charge you, pretty strong exhortation, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, and then he, then he makes a list, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. But he says to do it with complete patience and teaching. You see, all of the scriptures, and most certainly the Old Testament, all of them are useful. And it's not just a few scattered nice points that we may pick up in a passage like Isaiah 53. All of it, Paul is insisting is profitable. And so when we consider, for example, the stories of the Old Testament, we can begin to form foundations of some key doctrines that then as we understand them, begin to influence and transform even as we choose to live. God, it seems, incarnated some of his moral principles in the lives of some of the Old Testament characters, flawed though they may be, so that we could look at, with fascination in some instances, some of the biographies that might inspire us or may actually warn us. Think about this. We learn about justifying faith through Abraham, effectual and fervent prayer through Elijah, commitment within relationship when we read about Ruth and Naomi, perseverance for Job. Anybody need perseverance through Job? Forgiveness as well as chastisement through David. And so many of those Old Testament principles played out in the lives of the characters of the Old Testament as they're properly understood can give us guidelines today for wise Christian living. You see, as we consider God's revealed moral principles, the ones that are clear and unchanging, we can then wrestle with the application of those principles. And if we can shift from the context of Israel and its history, we can apply now with wisdom the context of our history. The Old Testament can comfort and encourage us. In an age where despair and depression seems rampant, who couldn't use a little comfort and encouragement, right? Anyone here? Anyone here could use a little comfort? A little encouragement? I know I could. In the Old Testament, we're comforted with God's sovereign love, His majestic power, his covenant faithfulness in his relationship with Israel. And therefore, even as we read and experience, it increases our confidence for our lives. 
We know that the Old Testament backgrounds of those that are listed in Hebrews 11, what's popularly called the Faith Hall of Fame, were encouraged there to follow their focused faith, their perseverance, and the hope that they displayed. In the Psalms, we're given songs that have comforted and encouraged believers throughout the world, across cultures, and throughout the centuries. And when we see the way that hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, hundreds of Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Christ, our faith in God and his word is strengthened. Perhaps our greatest comfort can be achieved when we reconcile the truth that both the old covenant that's expressed through the Old Testament and the new covenant that's expressed through the New Testament call for love. We can learn a lot about love from the Old Testament. You see, within the Old Covenant, love was what God called Israel to do. All the commandments found in the Old Testament simply clarified how to do it. This was part of Jesus' point when he, when he stressed that all the Old Testament hung on a call to love God and neighbor. This is what he said in the Gospel of Matthew. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Reading the Old Testament is one of God's given ways for us to better grasp and delight in this gospel of love. Christ emphasized, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Paul noted, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As with Israel, the Lord calls Christians to live characterized by this love. But now he gives all members of the new covenant an amazing ability to do what he commands. Moses' old covenant law, it called for what I, what I call a life-encompassing love. All arenas. And Christians today, now looking through the lens of Christ, we can gain some clarity from the Old Testament on a whole range of the effects of that love and the application in our lives. Living here in New England, one of my greatest heartbreaks, the one that bothers me perhaps the most, the one that I encounter over and over and over as a pastor talking to broken or skeptical people, is the myth that the Old Testament is devoid of love and that God is an angry, unloving Father. It bothers me. I hope it bothers you. Because my response initially is, they don't know my dad. I hold that folks that hold that point of view probably haven't carefully read the Old Testament. I told you, some of those stories are weird. They're difficult to understand. And so there has to be a care that we bring to reading them. But I think ultimately, they failed to understand in the readings of some of the characters 
who the primary character is, and that's a loving heavenly Father. So my prayer this morning for us is that we don't ignore such a rich treasure of wisdom that's found in these 39 books and that we actually value the Old Testament for dealing with some of those questions of life that come at us. In the scripture we read today in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul commands Timothy, and, and I think by commanding Timothy, he also commands all church leaders to preach the Old Testament. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? I think I've given us some decent reasons why Paul would say that. How about one more? For Paul, Christian preachers like Timothy needed to preach the Old Testament in part to guard the church from apostasy. While we now have the New Testament, we can and indeed uh, need to appropriate the Old Testament like Jesus and his apostles did for the good of God's church. Paul stresses that those who unhitch themselves from the Old Testament put themselves in danger of actually falling away from God. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myth. And so here at Redemption Hill Church, we're going to honor that admission, that admonition this summer. For the next three months, we're going to sample the Old Testament. We're going to visit Jeremiah the prophet and read a psalm. We're going to think about Genesis and be introduced to Daniel. We're going to stop in on Nehemiah, pay attention to Joshua, hear more from Samuel. And while we do that, we're going to think about how people change. What's it like to really celebrate something in life? What's the nature of God's heart? How do we live in a culture that's hostile to faith? How do we turn problems into possibilities? How do we consecrate the future? How do we exercise self-control? Anybody wrestling with any of those questions? I know I am. And I think that as we sample, I think you'll discover that we meet the same God in both Testaments. He is Yahweh of Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the Father that I know, that I want the skeptics of our culture to actually meet. He's the one that continues to pardon. He's the one that preserves a way for wayward people. God's grace isn't just mentioned in the Old Testament, it fills the Old Testament just as it does in the New Testament. For God has not changed. And so whatever we rightfully understand about his character and his ways in the Old Testament, we're learning something that's true about him, about our Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and sent Christ to die for us. Here's the way that Paul expresses it in 2 Corinthians. He says, All the promises of God find their yes in him. 
Where were those promises found? The Old Testament. Who were they finding their yes in? Jesus. And that is why it is through him that we utter amen to God for our glory. This, this truth, it's an absolutely glorious, it's an amazing truth. It's a, it's a wonderful truth. It's a stunning truth. It's a, can I say, precious truth. When we read the Old Testament, there's promises upon promises upon promises made to God's people. And in Christ, they are now yours. See how the writer of Hebrews showed us how this worked. In Hebrews 13, um, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And here's how he argues. For he has said, again, pointing back, and then he quotes Joshua 1.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Anybody need that kind of a promise in their life? Then he keeps going in verse 6, so we can, oh, here's this word, confidently, confidently say, and then he quotes Psalm 118, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? You see what Paul's doing here? He says, this is what we do, and we hear the command, and he says, you know, the the command to be content, keep your life free from the love of money, but how am I going to do that? The answer, go back to Joshua, go back to Psalms, hear the promises that are going to steady your heart and make you peaceful even as you act. That's amazing. And so as Jesus followers... Let's value God's gift of the Old Testament to us for wisdom and faith and practice. First, let's meet God for who he really is so that we can know him and worship him since his character was revealed as truly in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. And then let's celebrate the hundreds of promises that are found there and let them wash over us as the blood-bought birthright in Christ Jesus so that every day we can set ourselves free from sin by the superior promises and pleasures of God. I think, I'm convinced that we can all find that as we read and we study and we treasure the 39 books of the Old Testament, I think we'll start to really appreciate the New Testament even more. We have to, people, insist that the first word in the phrase Old Testament should never mean unimportant or insignificant to us as Christians. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that shows us your character and your nature and allows us to understand. If you had not revealed yourself to us, we would have no way of knowing about you. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We're so grateful that as we read all of the scriptures, we see you. Spirit of the living God, 
beginning in the book of Genesis where the Spirit hovered and created and moved through the lives of the prophets and those that had a heart after God, right through Pentecost. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for Spirit. This morning we bow and we ask, help us to respond with commitment and gratitude to the gift that you've given us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.